everyone, and welcome to Magical Streaming, a podcast where we watch Disney Plus and then talk about it. My name is Amber. My name is Marie. And we're at our final episode of Spooky Month. Yes, and we are closing it off with a perfect transition into the next holiday, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Are we going to answer once and for all if it's a Christmas or a Halloween movie? I think it's a Halloween movie. I agreed with you. I also think it's a Halloween movie. Like, just because it shows Christmas. I have this thing, okay? Just because a movie takes place during Christmas, <coughs> Die Hard, does not make it a Christmas movie. Oh, wow. You're really coming at people. Uh... <laughs> Listen, but it's just, like, the vibe of the entire movie is, it ta- like, except for that brief excerpt, it takes place in Halloween Town. So... There's really no... Do I have a fact for you that's going to make you angry? Is it officially classified as a Christmas movie? No. Also, it came out right... Like, it came out in October. They yes. clearly marketed it as a Christmas movie, as a Halloween movie. Even though <clears throat> this is the only film of the 90s that Disney put out that from, like, Walt Disney... At, well... Nope, it's not, not... Yeah, I know. Uh, but that was not released in either June, July-ish, or November. If they had wanted to market it as a Christmas movie, they could have given it a Thanksgiving release, because those are their Christmas movies. Well, why don't we... I guess we're getting into hot takes right away, but why don't we scale it back and start with the synopsis from Disney+. Plus? Also, you brought it up. So, the synopsis on Disney Plus goes, Bored with the same old scare and scream routine, Pumpkin King Jack Skellington longs to spread the joy of Christmas, but his merry mission puts Santa in jeopardy and creates a nightmare for good little boys and girls everywhere. <laughs> okay, uh, first issue with this, he is not longing to spread the joy of Christmas. He does not understand Christmas. He's just like, oh, you give people these boxes with things in it. Cool. Presents. Yeah, presents, but... He, he, you know what? To quote Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, he got the spirit, but he a little confused. (laughs) All right, start us off with some history. So The Nightmare Before Christmas came out October 29th, 1993 as its uh, main release it did have kind of a limited release before that uh in early october october 6th but again that goes back to is this a christmas movie or is it a halloween movie if you're releasing it like two days before halloween you're not expecting a lot of people to see it by halloween um the budget was 18 million dollars which in today's money is 32 million four hundred twenty two thousand four hundred twenty two dollars fifteen cents and uh, it made in its original box office run $50 million, which would be $90,062,283.74 in today's money. Um, but with re releases and other um, things, it's made $91 million, which I couldn't find the conversion for all of that. So more than 91 in today's money. The history of the movie starts in 1982 when Tim Burton wrote a three-page poem. The movie is based off of this poem, uh, 
Burton didn't direct. It was originally supposed to be a short film or 30-minute holiday special, uh, kind of reminiscent to a lot of the classic um, Here Comes Santa Claus and uh, The Year Without a Santa Claus, and that's one of the reasons the film is stop motion, is kind of a harken back to the classics there. Um, the tone was found a little too weird for Disney originally, and when Tim Burton left in 1984, I say left, he was fired, uh, from Walt Disney <laughs> Studios, it kind of just got set aside. In 1990, though, Burton, uh, wondered about it. Disney still owned the film rights, so he signed on to produce the movie. Production began in July 1991, and um, it did take almost the whole three years to, to really finish this, this movie. Um, there was a lot that went into it, 20 sound stages, 120 workers, Marie's glaring at me for stepping on her toes. Um, and it was released via Touchstone instead of the original Disney. <laughs> She's glaring again. Uh, I'm not Disney glaring. Animation. I'm just unimpressed because this is trivia. No, it was not released by Walt Disney Animation. That's history. It was released by Touchstone. It was released by Touchstone because they were afraid it was too scary. Um, <laughs> It got an Academy Award nomination for Best Visual Effects. Um, it was nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. It won the Saturn Best Fantasy Film and for the Saturn Award for Best Music. It got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Score. In 2008, it was ranked number one on Rotten Tomatoes' 25 Best Christmas Movies. Nope. <laughs> nope. Nope. I told you. I told you I had something that was going to make you unhappy. It does make me unhappy. Of all the Christmas movies, the wonderful Christmas movies there are out there, how dare they? Um, this does not make me feel Christmas good, okay? This is not a movie I watch during the holidays to put myself in the Christmas spirit. Uh, the, the game... Oh my goodness. The movie was a sleeper hit. Uh, as we talked about, 18 million budget, but 50 million return. It was considered a sleeper hit, uh, meaning that it kind of just made a lot of money unexpectedly over a long period of time. And uh, it has quite a few games that came out of it. In 2004, uh, a video game called The Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie's Revenge, which kind of serves as a sequel-ish. There has been talks of sequels in the past, but they've all kind of been brushed off. But this really does continue this story um, that was put out for the PlayStation 2 and Xbox. Um, there are There is a collectible card game, and there is a Nightmare Before Christmas party game. Also, Nightmare Before Christmas appears in four of the six Kingdom Hearts games. Uh, you go to Halloween Town. It's fantastic. As far as staying power... In the Disney parks, you can meet Jack uh, and Sally during Halloween, and Jack uh, during Halloween parties yes. at the parks, and you can meet Jack during Christmas parties dressed as Santa Claus. Um, and then we mentioned uh, last episode or two episodes ago, 
overlay. On the Frankenweenie. Oh. Yes. Uh, we talked about the Haunted Mansion holiday overlay, uh, which is present at Disneyland and Tokyo Disneyland, where the Haunted Mansion is completely changed to Christmas haunted uh, Christmas. It's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Vibes. Yes. Um, it first opened at Disneyland October 3rd, 2001. Goes from September to January. Some people have very strong uh, opinions on this. Um, I mean, there has to be enough people who love it. The thing probably is, so Disneyland is a huge locals park. So Disney doesn't have to worry too much about whether a temporary thing that takes place during the year is going to upset a large amount of people because it's going to go back to normal after this That's holiday true. season. Um, Brian Gosling is the one who had an interview talking about how mad it makes him that you want to have the Haunted Mansion be spooky at Halloween time and here you are in prime Halloween time at Haunted Mansion holiday. Which is not Halloween. It is not. Making the case that this is a Christmas movie. Also, like, they have to shut it down for, what, a month? Uh, it's two weeks. So, two a month total, because two weeks to put it yes. up, two weeks to take it down. Uh, that's also the reason a lot of people say that that's not something they would do at Disney World, because of the fact that Disney World has a much bigger one-time visitor basis. I think... However, there is rumors right now, and this is a rumor based on... Rumors? Yeah, like, there. honestly, I don't know if there's any... There's probably no ground to it. I just... You heard it, it here was, first, folks. We're just slinging any rumors we hear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was the Wikipedia page. Basically, which I mean, okay, a lot of people say Wikipedia can be edited to about yeah, anything. but you can say it's really, there's rumors, and that's it's not it's not listed as a rumor on the Wikipedia page. It's it's showing a project that is slated to begin in 2021 for the Haunted Mansion at Disney World. Not for this, not for Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion Holiday. Absolutely not. We'll Absolutely see. Again, not. Again, I Absolutely. haven't seen anything. I'm with Ryan Gosling. Here's the thing. It is prime spooky time, and I want my Haunted Mansion to be spooky. Your Haunted Mansion. Listen, Haunted Mansion is one of my favorite rides. It shares the spot with the many adventures of Winnie Pooh. They're very different vibes, but I want it to be spooky because there is nothing like Halloween party night. You roll up. There's Madame Carletta out yeah, there. Yeah, that's the thing, too. Like, they start putting... Because there's also outdoor decorations. Right. But it's not the same type of mansion in Disneyland versus in Disney World. So I don't know, first of all, would the decorations even well, vibe. Second of all, could you still bring out Madame Carlotta? And listen, there's... They just make it super spooky. And that's not going to work. Yeah, if there's like candy the fog canes. machine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. They best not... Actually, the way the way they would and could do it would be actually over Christmas time. Right. Here's the thing that baffles me, at the idea that it takes them two weeks to do this overlay. And I understand that it's a ride, it's more technical, it's more intricate, and also it's a smaller space to work in, so you can't have as many people. However, 
how's it gonna take two weeks to do that overlay over one ride when it takes them one night to put in all of the Christmas decorations throughout the entire Magic Kingdom. I think I don't it's a lot, a lot more delicate. Yeah, that that's how I got it. Like, that's how I figured too. It, but it's like, I feel like I there's a big stretch. Like, I'm not saying they could do it in one night. I'm saying, but I feel like I don't two know. weeks is a big it's, it's a long time amount of time for difference. Um, it's a long time. Um, but as I said, this also is Tokyo Disneyland since 2004. Uh, but Tokyo they've been doing the is also overlay. Uh, September to January. I feel like Tokyo also has more of a... Maybe not in the same sense as Disneyland locals, but... like Here's the thing. I don't want this coming to my haunted mansion. I don't like when they do the same thing in different parks. I like that you can get... I feel you should be able to get unique experiences in every park that right. you go. I know not Obviously everybody's going to be able to go... To every park, yeah. so you and want that's to why have... they got. That's why they have the classics right. in several of the parks, and that's fine. But like, every, I I don't agree that every single little thing should be the same. Like, I mean, this is also coming from a place where I miss Soarin' Over California, but I feel like Disneyland should still have Soarin' Over California instead of the nightmare that we have to deal with now. <laughs> you have a lot of feelings about this. I have a lot of feelings about the fact that we went all the way to Paris and I didn't even get to ride Phantom Manor. That's <laughs> <was> my feeling. <laughs> and you know what? I hope Disneyland Paris ain't thinking. I've heard no rumors and they best not be trying to put Haunted Mansion Holiday up on the Phantom Manor because honestly, I'd be mad. <laughs> Anyway, um, you did forget to... Well, I guess it's not really of actuality anymore. Uh, what? Jack used to narrate the ha- uh, Hollow Wishes. No, we the didn't. The fireworks. Yeah. No, we didn't. Who did? The ghost host. Oh, you're right. <laughs> don't, don't come at me. Like, I don't know when the ghost host is narrating things. Then there has to be some Nightmare Before Christmas songs in there. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Oogie Boogie is part of this the... This is Halloween was one of the songs in Hollow Wishes. So, there we go. Uh, And also, Oogie Boogie is part of the villains thing, show, stage show, the Hocus Pocus stage show. Yes, the Hocus Pocus villain spectacular. Oogie Boogie is there. Uh, He does come out. He sings his song. um, And then he pieces out. And he comes back 45 minutes later. Yes. Okay. So, going into trivia. Uh, So, as you mentioned... (laughs) This, it was originally meant to be released on the Walt Disney Picture banner. Uh, However, it was Michael Eisner's decision, because he was CEO and chairman of the Walt Disney Company at the time, uh, to move it to the Touchstone Pictures banner, because he did find it to be too dark for kids. Uh, And then in 2006, when it was re-released in 3D, it was done on the Walt Disney Picture banner. So officially now, I do right. believe it's When did Touchstone marketed. dissolve, though? I do not know. Let me... I'm going to look that up. Yeah. Uh, it is the second... With that in mind, with that it's now back under the Walt Disney Animation Studios banner, uh, it, is, it was the second film under that banner to have a PG-13 rating from the MPAA, being, the first being The Black Cauldron. 
which I can't wait until we do that one, honestly, because it's been super long since I've seen it, and I know it's super creepy. Uh, and also, it is the first stop-motion animated film to be rated PG. The uh, This film, alongside Who Framed Roger Rabbit, are the only films under the Touchstone picture to be considered official Disney films, or this one now is, but when it was still under Touchstone, these two films would be the ones that people would look at and be like, okay, this is a Disney, well, Disney movie, even though technically it was not. Uh, and uh, it still is not for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Answer, Touchstone uh, was until 2018. So they just decided, ah, we'll stick it under Walt Disney Animation, even though Touchstone still, still did exist. Yeah. Um, it was the first fully animated Disney film to not be traditionally animated. And... What a way we've come. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, you also did mention that the movie took three years to do. There were 20 soundstage. Uh, they had a crew of over 120 workers. Yeah, I also mentioned that. Yeah, oh, sorry. Uh, but you did not mention that there was a total of 109,440 frames taken for the film. I did see that, but I thought that was stepping on your toes. <laughs> yeah. And for one second of film, up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. Stop motion is insane. It is. And it's I so think... technical. It's so... takes so much time. It's so crazy. I mean... The thing to it is when you compare it to traditional animation where they had to draw every single movement frame by frame, that right. also was an insane amount of work for just one second but of screenplay. You say that as if computer animation also doesn't oh, no. take... It's, yeah, that's true. They're all... All they types all of animation so much are time. crazy. Like, honestly, hats off to anyone that does animation because the amount of work you have to put in for such a short result is insane. Right, right, right. Um, there were actually two items that were invented to facilitate the filming of the movie, with it being stop motion. One was a light alarm, which warned the animators if any of the stage's lights failed to come on so that they could fix it right away. Uh, and the other was a system that enabled a puppeteer to just seamlessly switch to a replacement puppet if a puppet broke during a shot before the either of these inventions, um, either a light failing to come on or a puppet breaking would basically just destroy the shot. It rendered it unusable. So they had to start all over. <laughs> so, yeah, imagine if you're at the end of the shot no! and a puppet breaks. I would cry. Yeah. I would just be crying on the floor. <laughs> oh. So, Sally, uh, her motto was a little bit different than some of the other puppets mm -hmm. uh, because of her hair, actually. So, she, her mouth movements were animated through the replacement method. So, what that means is that her face, like, she had basically face masks that were removed and replaced to um, change her expressions and right, not just right. talking. So, during the animation process, so that it preserved the order of her hair, basically. So, so not to mess up her hair. Uh, they would. And so, they have, there were ten types of faces, and each was made with a series of eleven expressions. So, eyes open and closed, various facial poses, 
uh, and synchronized mouth movements. So that's 110 face masks. For Sally. Just for Sally. And that doesn't count any of the other body parts. Like, well, her body is actually they probably always use the same body well they have no, multiple right and obviously. they need some like when her arm's not there that's and true actually she's a she's a pretty complex she's a I complex mean, they're all character complex characters but i feel like definitely her and jack were likely the ones that right had the most complexities and obviously the most puppets because also they're most present in the entire filming in the movie um, there are three shots in the entire film that were filmed at a normal speed. So basically, like, they just filmed it normally instead of take a, sh- take a frame, mm. move, take a frame, right, right. move. Uh, that is the opening overhead shot of the threes in the forest, the fog coming out of the fountain, and the bugs falling into the molten pit in Oogie Boogie's lair. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, originally, Oogie Boogie was intended to be Dr. Finkelstein in disguise. Because originally, upon defeat, he would admit that he was doing this because he was jealous that Sally had chosen Jack over him, and that hinted that Sally might have originally been mayor been made for a love companion rather than more of a daughter figure and i feel like you can kind of see that yeah, still where say... when he makes his her replacement there de- there's definitely more of an amorous relationship there um but they did change it because it came basically they felt it came out of nowhere uh and there wasn't really a good setup for it and reportedly, Tim Burton was so mad at the idea of just this in general that he literally kicked a hole in the wall. That's a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> that is a red flag. Um, if you ever tell somebody something and they kick a hole in the wall, maybe rethink your relationship with that person. Yeah, even a professional thing. Um... Now, as you mentioned, the movie itself was based off of a poem that he wrote, that Tim Burton wrote, and he said that the poem was inspired after seeing Halloween merchandise display in a store being taken down and replaced by a Christmas display. And he just the juxtaposition of ghouls and goblins and Santa and his reindeer sparked his imagination. You can tell this happened a long time ago because now there ain't not, none of that. Christmas is there. Depends on where you're at. Yeah. Like, you can go into Michael's and one row is Halloween and the next is Christmas. So I guess you're not having it, like, directly on the same shelf. But it is, like, you go around the corner. No, but I mean, like, they're not taking down Halloween to put up Christmas. Christmas is already there. Again, in my small town growing up, no. That was not true. Because there was not enough space. There's not enough space. Like... Here now, it depends on which store and depends on how early on. But I feel like we went to the dollar store in early September. And there was one, like, parentheses, one half row that already had, like, garlands and stuff. So it starts creeping its way in and then they expand as you get closer. Um, so, yeah, and then the, the poem itself, uh, you also mentioned that it took inspiration from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, How the Grinch Grinch Stole Christmas, 
uh, and also the poem A Visit to Saint from St. Nicholas. So, yeah, he wrote it when he was a Disney animator in the early 90s. 80s. 80s, right. Sorry. Early 80s. Um, there is a bit of a controversy over exactly who has the rights to call the story and film their own. Disney owns the rights, I would think. No, that's not where this is going. <laughs> oh, copyright infringement. Nope, nope. Henry Selleck is the director and spent more time on the set and production than Tim Burton. However, Burton has often claimed that he is the owner of the story as it was all his idea. He wrote the poem and most of the script. He created characters, served as a producer, uh, and wanted to direct but was just too busy at the time. Uh, popular culture has accepted the movie as Burton's, since especially now it's titled as Tim Burton's. Yes, the it Magnetic is. I was going to say that's what it says on Disney um, Plus. He does reinforce the fact that Selleck directed the movie and is often annoyed that people don't remember him for that. Um, on the direction of the film, Selleck reflects that it's as though Burton laid the egg, and I sat on it and hatched it. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but in, but his hand is in it. It was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film, which is not so different from my own films. Um, when asked on Burton's involvement, Selick says, I don't want to take away from Tim, but he was not in San Francisco when we made it. He came up five times over two years and spent no more than eight or ten days in total. So... Yeah, so, I mean, in popular culture, it is accepted as being Tim Burton's movie, but I guess there is an amount of people who see it more as Selleck's movie. I would say it's Burton's story and Selleck's movie. I would say that as well, but I would also say um, a lot of times we don't credit movies to their directors. Uh but a, here's the thing, I don't think we should solely credit, credit a movie to its director, but I think it's a half and half thing, because sure, obviously without a writer you don't have a story, but without a director you don't have a movie, and a director just like a screenwriter can make or break that movie. Just watch like The Hunger Games, the first one versus the second one. I, I like the first one actually. I mean, it's fine, Let's look but at I Twilight. Okay, I didn't want to bring up the fact that we watched Twilight, but yes, Listen. we have watched Twilight. Yeah, no, Catherine Hardwick was terrible. Um, and like, Please obvi- add us. Yeah, uh, like, obviously, it's the story you have to work with, but, but she, ugh, it's a nightmare. And like... Before Christmas? Shut up. But when you compare the first to the second, like, it's day and night. So a director also has such big influence because, like I think I've mentioned before, you can't... But is it theirs? I mean, they have... Yeah, I do believe they have some ownership over it because they have have made the movie theirs. I agree and I disagree. (laughs) I think, listen, I think it's it's a shared custody... I think because ultimately, one without the other can't be a thing. Like, they're it doesn't like two matter. parents. Yeah. They're like two parents. Um, 
And some people are going to credit one parent more than the other. I think it's a pretty equal share. Because again, without the writer, you don't have a story. Without the director, you don't have a movie. But the other thing is, he was told to make it look like somebody else's movie. So then it goes into, okay, you're if you're being told to essentially... Okay, but again, Selleck's movie style is pretty... Right, but if you are following in somebody else's, like, if you're told that it should be like this, how much of that is actually, do you have ownership of, and how much of it is you are following the directions of somebody else? You know what? Somebody, it doesn't matter. You can try as much up. as you want to make something look like someone else's. At the end of the day, there's still only a certain, like, you can only go so far. Right, but that's why, like, many things, you see this with a uh, book series where the original author is the one who gets credit, even though ghost writers come in and do the rest. So, if we apply that kind of logic here, it's Tim Burton's film. Angelic, he's the ghost director. You know what? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Somebody please add us and tell us what you think. Well, most people are going to think that... And again, like, I give him full credit, obviously, for coming up with the story and everything. I'm just saying that if he had directed it, it might not be exactly what it is today. Even if Selick made it in a way that was meant to look but, like again, Burton had. Then ghostwriters... Like, the book wouldn't be exactly the same. If the are you original... saying that all directors are, like, ghost directors? No! I'm saying that... I'm going back to uh, the ghostwriter, where you have somebody who writes the first book in the series, and then, you know, a ghost... Somebody ghost writes the rest of them. Yeah, but everybody is influenced by somebody. Like, Tim Burton took a lot but there's of inspiration a difference, from... But there's a difference between having to fit into a box that says it's believable that this person could have done this and having the full freedom to make it your own vision. Anyway, according to Henry Selick, uh, Vincent Price was originally cast as Santa Claus. Uh, However, after the death of Prince's wife, his own health began to fail and his voice performance was very frail and weak. Uh, So the tracks were deemed unusable, which led to the role being recast. Um, The film actually premiered on October 9th in film festivals only 16 days before Prince's death. And it was released officially on the 29th, four days after he had passed away. Um, And then in 2001, Walt Disney Picture began to consider producing a sequel... But, rather than using stop motion, they wanted to use computer animation. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tim Burton convinced them to drop the idea. I do not know through which means, uh, but he says that he's always been very protective of the movie, um, and not to do sequels or things of that kind, because... Yeah, like, he didn't want to do just something like... Jack now visits Thanksgiving World or something like that. 
he just wanted the movie to keep. I mean, well, it's Thanksgiving world. Yeah, I don't know. Turkey. Turkey and stuffing all over. <laughs> Mountains of stuffing with lakes of gravy. Killing First Nations people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're taking a bear. At Amber Ninny on, uh, <laughs> on everything, you can reach me. Uh, I stand by what I said. So let's get into some hot takes. (laughs) I feel like we've kind of uh, gone over some hot takes already. But okay, here's my hot take based on personal experience. This is not a kid's movie. Okay. It is marketed as a family movie when... Okay, here's the thing. This came out in 93. I don't think I saw it right as it came out. I think it was probably a year later or so. So I was maybe about five, maybe six years old. And we went to the video store back when those were still a thing and like with actual VHS Mm -hmm. and it was not a blockbuster. (laughs) I think this was before blockbuster even came to our city, Uh, but it was an independent branch and they had this little kid section that was like, you came in and then on the left, there was a little kid section and it was like, almost at a box and there was a little archway to get in like I mean you feel like it was your own little place because adults would have had to really crouch down to get in but you could just get in fine and usually when we ran out to rent a movie my mom would go and pick a movie for her and my dad I assume and she would send me in that little kid's corner to pick a movie for us and the this was at a time when I didn't speak English so I watched movies in French. All Disney movies that I watched growing up, I watched in French. Yes, because you are Quebecois. Because yes. French is your first language. Yes. Um, and I, anyway, even if I had spoken English, there would have been no English movie in that like video store. They were all French. It was yeah. all French. And the title of The Nightmare Before Christmas in French translates to Mr. Jack's Strange Christmas. Now, Nightmare Before Christmas, Nightmare, might give you an idea that maybe you should review before showing to your five-year-old. And this probably was not... Listen, Quebec is very lax with its rating, so I don't know if it's rated PG. It's rated PG. PG. Yeah, it's rated PG on Disney+. Plus. I don't know if it's rated PG in Quebec. I have some... I have some things... Your parents wouldn't watch you watch PG movies? I mean, they probably did. But anyway, point is, I, well, as a five-year-old, like, if it's rated PG, you kind of screen it. It's parental guidance. That's literally what it means. <laughs> well, I was watching The Simpsons. Come on. Well, yeah, so was I. So, uh, well, I don't know if I was at five years old. Oh, but I definitely was. <laughs> that would have just been from whatever I was put in front of. Anyway, point is... There was no screening involved. Like, there was no reading of the summary. I just showed the picture, just showed the box to my mom, and she said, okay. So off I go back home as a little five-year-old with the Nightmare Before Christmas, and the movie starts, and it's like, I am the monster under your bed. Like, straight up. That, That started the habit that I had of running from the doorway of my bedroom to my bed and then jumping into bed to make sure nothing would grab my ankles as I got into bed. I was afraid of a monster under my stairs. There is no closet under my stairs. It's just more stairs under your stairs. It's just like, 
Yeah, it, like when you go down there and goes into the basement. So it's basically like there's nothing there. You can't go into it. Yeah. You can't open it. It's a wall. And I was still afraid that there was a monster under the stairs. This movie traumatized me. I was so afraid of Oogie Boogie. So afraid when his burlap sack just starts falling apart and all these bugs fall out. I was so afraid. So this is not a kid's movie. Um, I'm not gonna drag you on this podcast, but... But you are. But I'm about to drag your sensibilities. This is not a scary movie, and it was not a scary movie for kids. I was like, no, this is not... This is not scary. It is scary. It takes place in the Halloween world. There's a bajillion monsters in no, no, there. No. Calabar is way scarier than all of this movie. And you know what? This movie did not scare me as a child. You know what scared me as a child? Like, The Ring. <laughs> yeah, okay. You were maybe a few steps ahead from where you should have been. Well, I was So you were desensitized. I was sneaking around. If you had been a normal child. I was a normal child. Uh, but I'm thinking about also how my five-year-old cousin came with... Uh, with my family to go see The Dark Knight Rises in theaters with us. Like, and you were scared of Hollow, and you were scared of The Nightmare Before Christmas? Yes, I was. It was scary. <laughs> this movie's not scary. Yes, it is. Uh, my hot take I agree is, with Michael Eisner. I, my hot take is this movie isn't even that good. <laughs> oh, you are going to anger a lot of people. I I find that um here's my here's my thing. I find that the especially Jack and Sally's relationship makes zero sense. Um they don't really interact until the end, and then they're like, we're meant to be together. And it's like, why? Because she's the one person with enough sense to be like, don't appropriate somebody else's holiday. Like, that's a low, low bar, first of all. Second of all, I find I found her relationship with the doctor to be weird. I found those lingering ideas that maybe she was supposed to be a romantic partner. That does not surprise me, because I've always found their relationship kind of sus. And... um the idea that she was like a daughter figure to him no no she was not i thought she was maybe like he wanted to be romantic and she did not and that she was kind of like a servant to him which is definitely not the same as being a daughter to somebody like I don't... Also, okay, you're really going to be out here criticizing the fact that their relationship comes out of nowhere when we've just been watching all these Disney movies like Snow White and her prince. They interact for, what, 0.5 seconds? Right. Sleeping Beauty, he sees her and automatically it's like, oh, you mine now. They dance together. Okay, barely. I uh, Cinderella no. and Prince Charming spent one evening together... They have known each other for a certain amount of time I at this point. They've just been friends-ish. I don't... I don't... I don't feel it. I don't feel the chemistry. Okay. I don't feel the... Just I, because you don't feel it. I, I also, do. I do think I it's like, more, like, one-sided at first. I also feel like 
there doesn't need to be a love story in this movie. I feel like the fact that there is a romance at all kind of comes out of nowhere, as opposed to, like, princess movies, you expect there to be a romance, but this romance just kind of comes out of nowhere at the end. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not really a fan of it. Um, also, I think Oogie Boogie's demise is very anticlimactic. Like, his... His demise is just that his burlap sack gets caught on some spinny things and it makes him fall apart. Anticlimactic! Okay, here's the thing. Oogie, Oogie Boogie is not just a burlap sack full of bugs. Oogie Boogie is one bug in that burlap sack that somehow, like, got all these other bugs. It's- because it's the, it's the one that Santa squishes. I understand, but I feel like it's very anticlimactic. We've got all this lead up and kidnapped of Santa Claus, and then that's the demise. It's so, it's such a letdown. It's like you're getting very hyped up, and then it's just like, oh, he's defeated by machinery. Boring. Boring. Okay? Anticlimactic. I don't care for it. Actually, he's defeated by Santa's foot. He could probably have gone back around and done the same thing. Because, yeah, when he's when all the bugs are falling out, he's going, my bugs, my bugs. Yeah, and then, what, he gets smushed because he's just one, but it is so anticlimactic. So he's like a little villain that made himself more powerful by enslaving other bugs. I don't right, know. but the only reason he was able to be smushed was because this machinery caught on his burlap. I just, I find it anticlimactic. I'm not... I'm not a Nightmare Before Christmas person. Um, I know Nightmare I know Before not, Christmas but... has a huge cult following. I know a lot of people really love it. Um, it it's not me. I don't. Uh, and I feel like the movie is kind of overhyped. Uh, and just not that great. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get a lot of haters for this. You know what? At me. Come at me on Twitter. I will defend I mean, okay, I will position. admit it's also not one of my favorites. I listen. You want to get into okay? Let's get you know, into most of the time that we watch this movie. You're the one wanting to watch it. I watch it uh, seasonally because I feel like uh, it's it marks the transition from Halloween to Christmas between our two powers, our two domains. Um, you being Halloween, me being Christmas. Yes. You better believe on Sunday we're decorating. We already have Christmas lights up all year. Yeah, we just don't take them down. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm jumping into rewatchability, weirdly, right at this moment. But, yes, I watch it once a year to mark the seasonal transition of power in our household. I don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> then why do you watch it? The, um, I love a good routine. I... I li- I love a routine. What can I say? I'm very comforted by routines. And um I don't know. I I I guess I thought you liked it more than you do. Um No, I mean, I don't dislike. I'm not I like it more than you do. It's it's not one of my favorites. And I think again like because of the fact that it's so Halloweeny, it feels out of place to watch it. Like, Halloween, to me, is not something that brings me, like, joy in itself. So, it's not like if I were to watch a Christmas movie unseasonally, 
that brings me joy. Like watching me, a Halloween ha- movie. Yeah, for but for me watching a Halloween movie unseasonally is just weird. It's just off-putting. It doesn't feel like it belongs. It's not bringing yeah, me anything. So, like even though I do like it more than you, once a year is also fine for me. Okay. So let's rank uh Oogie Boogie as a villain then. Listen. Uh we haven't I Oh, you have more hot takes? Yeah, the mayor of this town, useless. I mean, that's Which, an allegory for mayors everywhere. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and I guess they're not trying to hide that. But, like... <laughs> He's also two-faced, literally. Yeah, like, that's, they, that's on purpose. They're not being subtle here. They think politicians are useless. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Jack goes missing literally the day after Halloween for not even an entire day. And he is panicking. Like, this guy doesn't get a break. There's no vacation in Halloween Town. No. Like, what kind of, what kind of messed up universe is this? Yeah. Uh, to his point, what kind of messed up universe is this? Where, one, okay, all the adults know that Santa exists. Two, they're okay with shooting missiles at an unknown flying object in the sky, quote, masquerading as Santa Claus. Are there no airplanes in this world? Or do they just care so little about the possibility of striking a commercial airliner and killing hundreds of people that they're like, you know what? To take out this Santa imposter, we'll do it. Well, I'll sign off on this. I authorize the, the loss of life. It's, it's worth it to keep these kids from getting creepy little things. Okay, they're not just creepy, though. Some of them are straight up dangerous. I mean... Yeah, but maybe don't let your children open things you didn't get for them that appear randomly in your house. <laughs> well, if you're expecting it to be from Santa, you know what the deal is. I just, I don't know what's up with the humans in this world that are so willing to just shoot things out of the sky uh, that they don't know what it is. They could have bombs. Like, there, there's no... No thoughts. Head empty. Just violence. Uh, there's also the idea of, like, you know what would be interesting as a sequel, actually? Because we're made to believe, so, the trees are the gateways into each of these holiday worlds. And it's just a straight up... But no, here's the thing. Here's the thing that confuses me. The trees are the gateways into these worlds. But Jack does not come out of the tree. He's just wandering in the forest. I think it's a medical, uh, metaphysical plane of existence when you get to that point in the forest. And then, like, if you were coming from Christmas Town, um, you would come out, like, you would come to a bunch of trees and then you would pick the Halloween door to go into. Because at the beginning of the movie, we are going through... Yeah, we're going through the door to get into Halloween Town, and right. Jack has to go through the Christmas door to get to Christmas. Right. Land. So once you're in a land, you go to the place. There's a medical physical place that appears as a forest, and you pick the door to the place that you would like to go. Okay, but so does this forest exist in like the human world? Because otherwise, how do they? Get... It so, doesn't like, exist in my anywhere. Idea... <laughs> okay, in the universe of this movie, it doesn't exist anywhere. It's a metaphysical plane. But then how do they get to the human world? Because when you reach a certain... So it's like if you go to a specific place and once you're in the place, you would 
be in another place. Does no, this I make sense to no, you? No, it doesn't. <laughs> because to my idea, the forest itself, I feel like it would have been the human world. So that means that any human could, if they were to wander deep enough into a random given forest, enter through one of these holiday worlds. Kingdom Hearts would have me say no. <laughs> um, okay. My idea stands that it is like a, a ripple in the space-time continuum where if you are in a land already and you get to this point within that land, you would find yourself standing in front of these trees. And if you walked away, the trees would vanish away from you. Because then Jack also re-enters Halloween Town through that tombstone. Yeah. That's where you pop out once you go through the tree. Like, you don't end up... So, once you go through the door, it's like that's where the door empties. What? Yeah. So, if you were to walk in through the, through the door, the pumpkin door... You would come out of the tombstone like that because it's a ripple in the space-time continuum. So you're telling me that if Santa goes through the Halloween door he and would then come comes out of back out of the Halloween door into the forest. No. No, because going through the Halloween door brings you, you to Halloween Town, yes. not the human world. Coming out of the Halloween door is what you're saying with bringing out of the tombstone. No, so if you go through the Halloween door where you exit... Into the Halloween world is the tombstone. I don't get it. <laughs> Do I need to draw you a picture? <laughs> no, let's move on. What's your villain ranking? Okay. I like his song. Uh, great voice actor. Great, great music here. Three. <laughs> Three? Yeah. He's just an agent of chaos. He's not... He didn't kidnap Santa Claus I, for any nefarious purpose except to bother Jack. Like, this this is Well, technically he didn't even kidnap Santa Claus. Shock, Feral, and... Right, right. He's, whatever. He's not trying to do... He's just not that villainous. Like, what's his motivation? Yeah, I guess what's that his, even, like, Tim Burton says he doesn't consider Oogie Boogie to be a villain. He's really not. He's just, like, a nemesis to Jack. Yeah, because everybody in Halloween Town is pretty sketch. Right. I guess. So, yeah, he's more of an arc nemesis than a straight-up villain. He's still very scary to me, though. I was very scared of him as a child. I know you're judging me for that, but I was scared of him. Oh, I would have been scared if there was a bunch of bugs following me. Sure. That would have scared me, but Oogie Boogie does not scare me as a concept. I'm still going to give him a five. (laughs) Because little me was very scared. Yes. And what's your overall ranking? I'll give the movie a five. Come at Uh, me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to go with a seven. Because, like... I've been over this. I, I just don't think it's that good. It's it's a solid movie, but it's not I like it. Solid. I like the soundtrack. I like the cast. You know what? I like, like the story is good. I, there are two bops on this. Uh, What's this? No? There are three bops. <laughs> uh, this is Halloween. Total bop. Love it. I sing along to This is Halloween when it comes on. What's this? A bop. And then Oogie Boogie song. That's it. Hmm. All right. Um, 
yeah, like, I think it's a good movie. It's just, again, it's more of a seasonal watch for me. And it's just, I can't, ugh, I can't low rate. Like, it's so insane. Stop, I know that all types of animation require an extreme amount of work, but stop motion is so insane to me. You rated Snow White a four. I adjusted that. I adjusted it to a six. It was the first full-length feature animation film. And you don't think that took an insane amount of work? But you're like, I can't low rate this stop motion film. I adjusted it to a six. I'm so mad at you. (laughs) So next week. Next week. We're going to be talking about Coco because uh, the Dia de las Muertas is, is on, on November. Sunday. It's the November 1st, isn't it? Day I thought of the it was dead? the 2nd. Hmm. I thought it was the day right after Halloween. We're going to figure out. Anyway, it's We're a little right after. Oh, November right. 2nd! I know my stuff. Okay. Yes. So yeah, on November 2nd, so on November 4th is when the episode will be going up and we will watch the movie actually on Monday because we record the two podcasts on Tuesdays. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, Coco. Coco is great. So if you want to talk to us about any of our opinions, especially <laughs> mine, uh, hit us up on Twitter, stream the magic. Um, I run the Twitter, so you'll be talking to me. Um, We're also on Facebook, Magical Streaming is our page. Uh, We have Instagram, Magical Streaming Pod. You can also send us a very strongly worded email at magicalstreaming at yahoo.com. Or if you have any other questions, any other comments, suggestions, anything, just drop us a line. Uh, Settle some debates for us. Tell us whose movie is this? (laughs) Is it a Halloween or a Christmas movie? Don't you dare say Christmas. (laughs) Uh, how did Rotten Tomatoes rate it as the number one Christmas movie? Give us your ideas of how that happened. Uh, but until next time, enjoy your magical streaming and stay spooky.